everybody. Welcome back to CSI Sidebar. This is Mike Brooks along with Charles Middlestadt and our new producer, John. Uh, lovely Emily, she moved on to Breyer Pastures and uh, she, to become a semi-professional, right? Almost uh, like uh, us. I think she's a professional. No, she's, she's awesome. We're going to miss Emily, but John, John's going to be going to law school, so uh, he's, he's got... Uh, He's got it in his blood. He's got it in his blood. So welcome, we're, John. We're Good gonna to have you here. We're going to corrupt him, for oh, sure. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind, especially you. You and all your criminals. But uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. Hey, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> well, welcome to In the News. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things today. But uh, two of the things we want to talk about uh, are uh, El Chapo and also... The hot car death case here in Atlanta. But before we get started, Charles, and, and thanks again, uh, you know, for for having us up here in uh, in the studio, and I, because I've, I've missed it, but I've been on the I mend. Know. You have been. I've been on the mend. Had it's, surgery again. Getting old is a bitch. It's good to see you off the crutches. Thank you. And Thank without you. a line picking your arm. Isn't that nice? Yeah, that no, is nice. No more, yeah. No. No. <laughs> I was I was gonna have a bed brought in here for you. And, and I'm almost I'm I, I I'm almost ready for cigars again. Good. I just I just Good. had a, a little bourbon the other night for the first time. Excellent. Yeah, it was for the Kentucky Derby. You know, I had to had to do that. You have to imbibe every once in a while. Exactly. Got to got to keep your blood. Uh, got to keep your blood blood thin. That's right. But Medicinal. one of the things I want to touch on, and I and I wish I were in D.C. with my brother and sister law enforcement officers. Um, this is Police Week, and uh, as you know, every year uh, we honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can live in freedom here at home. You know, we, everybody talks about the military all the time, but a lot of times I think we forget our first responders, our police, fire, EMS, corrections. But this is National Peace Officers Memorial Week, and National Peace Officers Memorial Day, Charles, is on May 15th. So I want everybody to please just stop, take a minute, and think about those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. You know, last year, in 2015, there were 128 peace officers killed here in the United States and uh, in, in our territories. There's a uh, there was a number of officers that are, were killed in San Juan, Puerto Rico. So in fact, I was just talking to a Duluth detective the other day who was a police officer in San Juan and who was showing me a scar where he got shot as a police officer in Puerto Rico. It's extremely violent, very corrupt, but he's been up here uh, with Duluth police for a number of years now and, and just a, a really, really fine officer. And, uh, you know, did you know that so far in 2016, there are 35 officers been killed in line of duty? Now, that's, the overall deaths are down, Charles, but death by gunfire. So of those 35, there have been 17. It is up 70%. Wow. That's terrible. It, it is. But I just want to, I don't want to overdo it, but... but, but uh, no, it's an, it's an important, I'm glad you bring it up. Yeah, and, stop. And, you know, we talk a lot and, uh, about other issues involving law enforcement. Unfortunately, law enforcement has come under tremendous criticism uh, in the last couple of years. There's more oversight. There's more scrutiny. There's there's a lot of focus on misconduct, but this is not the time or the place. And during law enforcement week is a time when we should do exactly what you're talking about, and that's express uh, our gratitude to law enforcement. Yeah. It's a tremendously important and tremendously unappreciated um, career and, and uh, you know, law enforcement keeps us safe. It, they and do. so we really should just focus on that and not even pepper it with any other overtones other than no. just be grateful. Thank you for your service, uh, truly, to everybody who serves in law enforcement uh, in this country. Uh, I am 
truly appreciative. And uh, no, and I, and I think generally most people are. You know, they, they are. Every, I think people are. You stop and, and just say, hey, thanks. Thanks for right. what you do. Because, yeah. uh, you know, as you said, a lot of criticism lately. And, uh, but, but this week, it's, it's to remember those who have gone before us. Uh, I know I've got a number of friends that are on the wall uh, up yeah. uh, on, in, yeah. on, at uh, Judiciary Square in Washington, D.C. And I know tonight, uh, tomorrow night is going to be the candlelight vigil. They've got a lot of uh, memorial rides um, that are on bicycles that are started in New Jersey. In fact, there was a lieutenant, retired lieutenant from up in Jersey who uh, he's in critical condition. He got hit mm. uh, riding to D.C. And wow. so our prayers and thoughts and prayers go out to, to Absolutely. the lieutenant. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, there'll be thousands and thousands of officers. And I've been, I've been involved in that since back in the 80s. Yeah. In fact, I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday, uh, Ron Schindel, who was, who's a retired inspector from NYPD, and I met him when he was an officer. Wow. He was on a motor. He was a, he was a highway patrol guy with NYPD, and he was some of the first group to start to come down for the, for the ceremonies back in the early 80s, and we've been friends ever since. He retired, but he's now back, and he's an inspector with the Port Authority Police no now. No kidding. And it looks like he's going to get, get promoted again. Uh, just went back three years ago. He'd been out of it for a while in the public sector, making a lot of money, but he wanted to get back in the mix. Right. And uh, he was. To say, we were talking yesterday. He said, hey, Brooksy, you know, you can always get back in the mix. So. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. That. You started tasting the green on this I'm side. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. We'll see. But, but again, uh, yeah, so stop super on important. May 15th. Toast an officer. Salute Take a, a cop. Yes, yeah, salute a cop. If you want, yeah. uh, there's a great website that uh, you could go to called odmp.org. And it breaks down. It tells you it has pictures of all the officers and a little story about them. And they even honor the K- our canine officers, the dogs, right. who have been and, killed. And we've recently seen some of that here locally. In yeah. fact, there, there is a... There's a dog with the Sandy Springs Police Department, right? right. That that's been injured twice in the last two weeks, right? Um, through the course of chasing uh, suspects, once uh, he was struck with brass knuckles, and the exactly. second time with a lead pipe, and just the other day, yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, these our our canine officers out there are um, they're equal members of the of law enforcement, Absolutely. right? They serve tremendously important functions. They, re- they really, and, and you know, it's, it's it's interesting. A number of jurisdictions now have changed. Some of the laws to make it a serious felony, just like when yeah. you assault a police officer. Appro- appropriately so. I, I think, think so too. Yeah, I, agree. I think so too. So May fifteenth, just remember those who have given, who paid the ultimate sacrifice to protect us here at home. Let's do that. So, what do you think about El Chapo? Hey, well, let me let me just interrupt you for a second. Well, on the on the related note, when we're talking yeah. about officer safety, I just wanted to it just came to to mind, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. There's uh, recently in the news, there's been there's been stories surrounding a, a new gun that is in development. In fact, they've taken pre-orders for it, and it's it's a cell phone gun. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. yep. What are your thoughts on it? Look, I'm a you know you know I'm a huge Second Amendment guy. So are you? You know I I, I believe in everyone's right to bear arms no and doubt. that kind of thing. Um, is there a need? Is there real? Is there really a need? Do we really need that? Is it really a gun? Yeah. Technically, by law, it's a gun, but you know it's, it's it's like the cop killer bullets back in the day. Yeah, you know because uh, the technology with ballistics and bullets has changed so much over the years. Um, there are, I mean, there's a lot of bullets out there now that can be called cop killer bullets. But when it comes to something that can be look like a, a, a cell phone, that, that's I think that's the issue I have with it, Mike. Is you know from a 
there, there's two sides. There's the public safety aspect to it and then the officer safety aspect to it, right? right? And we already know just based upon toy guns out there, there are so many instances that we see every, you know, all year, not every day, but very frequently involving right. um, someone that was shot, generally a child, generally a, a teenager, because they were in possession of what appeared to the officer who has to make a split decision a split second decision i.e. Tamir and, Tamir Rice yeah and 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 it's this whole you know shoot don't shoot issue that that only cops can understand it's very difficult for the average citizen who's never been in that situation to really be able to relate to having to make a split second decision like that and so just you know taking in mind the the whole aspect of toy guns and how frequently we have mishaps and accidental shootings right. or intentional shootings because of the perceived threat now you throw a a cell phone that mm. you know a gun that looks like a cell phone and the first time to me the first time a cop gets shot by one of those i think that's going to open pandora's box suddenly now cops won't have to worry about just handguns, right. looking for handguns, but any cell phone in somebody's hand suddenly can be perceived as a potential threat to them. And, and we have seen people who officers thought it was a weapon in their hand and, and it's it a cell phone. being a cell phone. Right. You know, so it seems, to, it seems like it has the potential to, to open up a lot of confusion, a lot of... Um, just, uh, again, Pandora's right. box. I, I think you're right. And I just see, don't see the necessity of it. Right. There's and, enough small, concealable firearms out there. Right. If that's what you're going for, there are options. Exactly. But, and, and just like I'm also against, I go to gun shows, I go in, uh, you know, I, not too long ago, bought a gun. I, I, when I go in and I see a gun that's pink or a gun that's green, why do, why do we need guns to be pink to, meet, to make them look like toys? Yeah, it's not supposed to be cute. No, it's, it's not. It's not supposed to match your purse or your outfit or any of that stuff. Exactly. It's a lethal weapon. Right. Well, you know, we're not honoring breast cancer survivors or anything right. with that. It's just pink guns. Do we need yeah, that? It, no. It, it trivializes the significance of what that is. It's a, it's a when in possession uh, uh, by a law enforcement person, that's a tool of, it's a tool in their arsenal. Right. To conduct their, their, their duties, their tasks. But to a citizen, it's supposed to be a, a self-defense Option. Yep. And, and it's not something that should be trivialized. It's not something that should become a fashion statement or ought to be cute or something you show off to your friends. Right. It's something that should be within your reach under the right circumstances if and when you feel threatened. With, and if with you have harm. a concealed weapons permit. Right. You know, like I do here in the state of Georgia. Just while we're on guns, we, we, didn't, we didn't talk about that we were going to talk about this, but I want to get your opinion. You don't have to give it to me. What did you think just the other day? Uh, Governor Deal vetoed the campus carry bill here in Georgia that it had been passed yeah. by the state Senate and by the state House. What did you think of that? You know what? I thought it was a very um, bold and brave decision on his part and vote. I, again, I'm completely in favor of everybody's right to bear arms. I just don't know that a college campus environment is the proper environment for it. And 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 I know that for several reasons, or, or my belief is formed on the basis of several reasons. First of all, I've I've had three children, who are two who are college graduates, one who's currently uh, in college. Uh, I was in college myself, and 
we all know what happens, and we all know that the, the college campus environment is an environment where our kids go and experience independence for the first time. And as a result of that first experience, they're experimenting with independence. They're experimenting with their own self-identities. They're experimenting with alcohol. They're experimenting in some cases Most with, of them are with experiment, drugs. experimenting with alcohol before they go to college. Right. But, I mean, we, we just know just based upon the issue of fake IDs, I mean, it's virtually almost every kid on a college campus has a fake ID, right? And so there's only one reason to have a fake ID. I mean, we know this because of the prevalence of fake IDs being intercepted from places like China, where the they are the primary suppliers oh, yeah. of fake IDs. Um, but the point is that you're, you're mixing immaturity, alcohol, newfound independence, um, and, and then you, if you're going to now tack on this notion of the very issue that we just spoke about, you know, the shoot-don't-shoot shoot issue, the responsibility that comes along. I mean, the, we know scientifically that the human brain is not even fully formed until, you know, really the age of 25. I mean, actuaries so know should this. We take, should we take guns away from all our law enforcement officers at uh, 21 years old? No, but we're not talking about – they're not – Presumably, they're not drinking on the job, right? They're not well, in the presence not. of right, exactly in the presence of alcohol. But see, but to carry a gun on the campus, you have number one, you, you have to have a legal carry permit. You have to be twenty-one years old. And I think, though, Charles, if you're twenty-one years old, you have passed the background check. Uh, you have a license to carry in the state of Georgia. I think you should be able to carry on a college campus because. Look here in Atlanta. Look, look at look at Atlanta. Let's take Georgia Tech. Where does public space end and the campus begin when you're going down 10th Street, 14th Street? Where does it begin? I don't know. Well, but let's but, look. But at there Georgia are different. State. Those, so How many we, shootings we do, have we had at Georgia State? We we, we know we're, we know where it ends and where it starts. I mean, there are. It's an urban campus. I know, but Georgia Tech has their own public safety department, and they have their jurisdiction. And then wherever it spills over to the Atlanta Police Department, they have their jurisdiction. Well, it's concurrent okay. jurisdiction between the right. two. But the, but the, but, the, but the issue is, we're sending our kids off to college, and then you you know we we're not even talking yet about gun safety issues. I mean, a lot of these kids are could be in dorm scenarios. You're not supposed like, to have them in dorms, and if you're a responsible gun owner, you're not going to take them in dorms. You're not going to take them to sporting it's events. Just, to me, it's asking a whole lot of responsibility out of kids that really haven't demonstrated it yet. They're, they're more focused on but socializing. Look at all the kids, not kids, adults that are 18 years old. You can't, have a, you can't have a concealed weapons permit, but let's say you did a number of years in the Army or the, or the Navy or a Navy SEAL. You can be a Navy SEAL at 18 years old. You come I understand, out. But a college not, campus environment like, is a different environment. Eh, we I know you have an urban campus. In fact, just the other day, what, what, they, lock up, they locked up two people for carjacking at Georgia, at, uh, Georgia I, Tech. I, I understand. But, for instance, take sexual assaults as an example, right? They're illegal anywhere at any age. But we're talking apples and oranges here with sexual I'm assaults. I'm just saying. My point is a gun there's a greater— there's protect you. From a sexual, if you're yeah, that's not being my assaulted. Point. My point is there's <laughs> a, there's a, a higher incidence of sexual assaults on a college campus than in some other some other area. And the and the, the, the reason being is because the of the mix of issues that you have going on. You have again, you have teenagers, you have young adults, you have alcohol, you have peer pressure, you have bad judgment, you have a lot of different things that that create this 
the ingredients yeah. for higher prevalence of these incidents to happen. Well, okay. you know, I, I, there's some people that have your and, opinion, and I, I've also right. spoken to— I just uh, know that when I sent my kids off to college, that I was expecting that the college would— it would be a safe environment for them, and that whatever safety issues might exist— I was relying, and I would continue. I continue to rely. My my youngest is at the University of South Carolina. I rely on their public safety efforts, their public safety department, to keep my child safe. But and we know that doesn't always happen. Well, it doesn't. Always, it's never going to happen. No, ever, no, no matter right? what environment, right. the college and environment. And so, city, do I want county. to? Do I want suddenly to for the students to start assuming that responsibility on their own and taking matters into their own hands when? My personal opinion is that they may not necessarily be mature and ready to do that or may not be sober enough to do that or may not. There's just too many ifs in there for me. So well, you know what, folks? You've my heard sense what, is no. Okay, my answer is yes, and I think you're gonna, we're going to see it probably come back up again uh, here in the state of Georgia. There are some other states that have already passed this. But what do you think about this? What do you think about co- carrying a weapon on a college campus? We want you to weigh in. Charles, how can folks weigh in on Facebook and on Twitter? Well, they can simply go to our CSI Sidebar Facebook page. There you go. Or you can visit CSISidebar.com, and there's a section, I believe it's on the contact page, where you can post a comment. You can even make a suggestion for a podcast topic. Yep. We'd love to hear from you. That's great, because you are the ones that make our show. CSI Sidebar uh, on Twitter. Exactly. And what is your... I'm sorry, CSI Sardbar show on Twitter. What is your Twitter? Mine is Defense Mind. Defense Mind, imagine that. And (laughs) mine is TV at TV Detective. So let us know one way or the other what you think about that and and also some topics that you may want us to delve into on our In the News segment. So Charles, now we've talked about guns on campus. What do you think about El Chapo? Possibly being extradited back to the United States. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing. So, you know, uh, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman is um, this notorious kingpin who's already escaped twice. It seems like the longer he remains in Mexican prisons, the more likely that it is that he will once again make his escape. Well, you know, that, now they've got them right on the border, just right across the river from El Paso right. and uh, Ciudad Juarez. Right. And uh, they're talking about him maybe coming to the United States. And the first stop they're talking about him going to could be Brooklyn, New York. Right. Well, he's, he's indicted there. Right. And, you know, I, I, don't, I think we have to be careful as to what this re- really signals. I personally don't have a lot of faith in the, in the Mexican government to, uh, no. to make this necessarily happen. And you have to kind of look at the motivation here. So on the one hand, it sounds like his attorneys or, or El Chapo speaking through attor- his attorneys are saying, hey, you know, um, I don't like the prison system here. It's unhealthy. It's dirty. It's detrimental to my health. And I, you know what? In exchange for a guilty plea, I'm willing to be extradited to the U.S. and face, you know, face my time in a in a medium security U.S. prison. Uh, no, I don't think yeah, let's, so. Let's 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 roll back and let's look at, at his personal experience. And his personal experience is no one's really been able to cage him for no. any great length of time. One, two is that whenever he's been in custody, it's 
actually fairly luxurious. I mean, by all accounts, he's got everybody under his thumb. Everybody's waiting on him hand and foot. He's got access to internet, television, virtually anything he wants. He's in a position to continue to run his um, his uh, thriving enterprise. Thriving, you know, his criminal enterprise. Well, look at Brooklyn. So, so what would the motivation truly be for him to come here? Yeah, but they, the United States, we'll see what happens. Because if you look at Brooklyn, he was indicted in 2014 by a federal grand jury for allegedly, as you always say, for allegedly laundering $14 billion in drug money as head of the violent Sonola Cartel, you know, which they call is the world's largest drug trafficking organization. But he also faces uh, similar charges in Miami, California, Texas, and Chicago. So, uh, you know, if you're going to bring him back to the United States, maybe the first stop, Brooklyn, I think that might not be a bad place because I think he would be fairly secure there. And if he, if he does get convicted and he goes to trial in well, Brooklyn? listen, we're talking about the federal system uh, that has a high 90th percentile conviction rate. It's a whole different animal. It's not like the state system. No. There, there's no question that he would be convicted. I mean, the feds wouldn't be bringing all these indictments against him unless they had it wrapped up. And uh, I, I don't think there's any question. That's why I'm very skeptical about these developments, right? Skeptical the first, on, on... I'm skeptical, but skeptical because he knows that if he comes to this country, he's going to be convicted. And it's also been reported that, at least based upon what I've read, that his attorneys are essentially saying he will, he will plead guilty in exchange for being extradited. He's willing to plead guilty and be extradited. So, again, getting back to the issue of motivation, why would this guy, who has this history of basking in luxury while in custody, of escaping custody with frequency, what's his sudden motivation? Really, suddenly these prisons have become unhealthy for him? What's his real, you know, what's his sudden motivation? Well, they're saying, you know, that uh, he, they just moved him from supposedly the most secure prison in all of Mexico, one that he's escaped from a couple of times. Right. Uh, and they, you know, he said he's not getting enough sleep because yeah, that's all nonsense. That's all, that's all bullshit. I, I, there's, I agree. There's, some, there's either that move to this, um, to this new prison, I would have to believe, would have been orchestrated under, potentially under significant political pressure by the U.S. government. Right, the Mexican authorities didn't just suddenly decide. All right, we're you know we're going to move this guy around and we're going to start really taking his escape risk more seriously. I, I think there's some some political maneuvering going on behind the scenes where we're you know maybe there's some some type of um, aid that might be at risk. Maybe uh, maybe this is in anticipation of all the elections coming up and this whole wall issue, and this is one issue they don't want to have to deal with potentially with President Trump if that were to come to pass. Who, who knows what the real levers are behind the scenes? But I, I'm super skeptical about uh, El Chapo himself just throwing his hands up and going, "Take me." You know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna. But do you submit. think maybe he he said, you know, okay, I'm done. Might as well go to the United States to get it over with. Bullshit. Do you think the bullshit? Would what, you be what? surprised if we wake up tomorrow and we hear that El Chapo's escaped from the prison he is there in, in Ciudad Juarez? No, no, nobody would. Right? No, nobody would. No. 
Now, now here's the thing is, and, and that's the, that, again, this is why I am extremely skeptical. If he were to come here and to be convicted, he would almost certainly be going to ADX Administrative Maximum Security Supermax in Colorado. This is our most secure facility. It's, it's where our most notorious um, felons reside. One of my own clients, Eric Rudolph, is there living in a 7 by 12 cell, surrounded essentially by concrete with immovable objects within the room, five hours outside of the cell per week. Uh, it's no way for anybody to live. And, and you essentially go nuts in there. The chances of escape from Supermax are virtually nil. And so knowing that that would be his fate, why would he do that? I think what's more realistic is the potential that he may be hedging his bets. W- would you be concerned that if he was extradited to the United States, and let's say he goes to Brooklyn first, or maybe Chicago, but let's say he goes to Brooklyn, would you be concerned about maybe some of his uh, associates here in the United States trying to break him out? I mean, I, I suppose you always have to – certainly the, you know, the, the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons, who would be responsible for him. The U.S. Marshals. And the U.S. Marshals. And the FBI. And the FBI. I mean, you have multi, mul- multiple agencies yeah. that would be involved in securing him and ensuring the, 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 the security of the, any legal proceedings, of his custody. Uh, uh, clearly, they would be super concerned with that. Would I be concerned that his associates within his criminal enterprise would be able to thwart all that and successfully spring him? No. no. In fact, I think it would be at their own peril because they would be exposed through their efforts, caught, killed, whatever the case may be. So, no, I think with reasonable certainty, if he, in fact, comes here, he's going to face trial, he's going to get convicted, and he's going to find himself in Supermax. And, and there again, I go back to the, the motivation. But, but he there's also he another thing going on, Mike, you know, at the same time. And this is why I think he might be straddling uh, his options here. There's this Amparo suit, which essentially is the equivalent of a habeas corpus action here in this country. And the system in Mexico is actually almost reverse well, technically reverse of ours. In practice, it may be very similar. But in this country, we enjoy the presumption of innocence. In Mexico, you start out guilty and you have to prove your innocence. And this Amparo suit is essentially a judicial review of what's happened to this point to see if there's any improprieties in your detention, et cetera. I guess the review of any evidence uh, that, that has been uncovered, has been gathered against you. And again, knowing uh, historically that the Mexican system has not always been free of corruption. No, come on. He may be hedging his bets that on the one hand, if it seems imminent that he may be coming to this country, he may be extradited. He may be hedging his bets as far as signaling that he would plead guilty and cooperate. Obviously, this guy's full of intel, right? He, he, He could drop the dime on thousands and thousands of people. I mean, an entire criminal enterprise underneath him. He could could provide everybody below him. And so, and if he were to do so, there'd be some benefit to him, not walking away, obviously. This guy will never see daylight, but it may have some influence as to the- Once he escapes again. Right, but it would have some influence as the type of facility he might go to. 
right? That would be the bargaining chip for him. But if he but, was convicted here, there's no, there's no way that he's going to go to any place else but Supermax. Well, again, that may be, I mean, if he were willing, you know, there are a lot of folks who are talking about, okay, so let's suppose you, you, know, you, you get this guy and you cut his head off. Does it really end his cartel? And, and most folks would say, no, it absolutely doesn't. It doesn't end the enterprise. It did, someone else is going to come in and fill the vacuum, right? Right. Just like al-Qaeda, just like ISIS, just like any other um, organization like that, any other kind of enterprise. Like his VP will about take terror? over. You absolutely. Know? So if you have the opportunity to get this guy, cut his head off, get his cooperation, he drops the dime and, 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 and sells everybody else out – are you willing to give him some benefit for that? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, listen, I know that from the Eric Rudolph case. I mean, this this was a death penalty case, and it ultimately became a a life without the possibility of parole case because he he essentially held the U.S. government hostage because Rudolph had planted explosives throughout right. throughout the woods in Murphy, and um, the deal was, you know, unless you take death off the table. If and when children stumble into these and blow themselves up, Boy, yeah. you're, you know, it's going to be blood on your hands. And so the government made a deal with the devil, and they, they gave him life without. And we know that they are not going to extradite him to the United States because he will not I – mean, if there's anything death penalty related with the Mexicans, they're not they're – not, Right. They're, it's not a death case. No, not at all. be. Right. Not at all. And, you know, the New York Post is reporting that there are nine, which you're talking about. There's nine of those appeals that are apparently pending against his extradition. So I don't think we're going to see him yeah. transferred to the United States anytime he's, soon. I think he's hoping that those appeals are successful. And, and if they are, potentially he could either walk or he could wind up in a Mexican prison. And if that were to fail... Then I think this other aspect that we're talking about, the, the, the supposed signaling of I'm willing to come there, send me there, my health sucks here, that's just hedging your bet. That's like if it becomes imminent and I got to go, then I'm telling you I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to make a deal with you guys. I'm going th- to throw everybody else underneath me under the bus in exchange for some benefit. Well, I think it's going to be a while before we see him, and I would not be surprised at all to wake up tomorrow morning and or something to pop up on my phone with CNN or someone else breaking news that he has escaped again from this so-called high security prison right. and see that Juarez. If he really wants to come here, he can go through one of the many tunnels that exist. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if there's one being dug as we speak. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, we thank you again for your time. We're going to have the next installment of In the News. We're going to be talking about a case that I think everyone has heard of. Charles has been covering it for one of the local stations here and has been covering it since it began with HLN and CNN, as I have when I was their uh, law enforcement analyst. And that's the hot car death of the little boy with the defendant, Justin Ross Harris case that happened here in Atlanta. We're going to be talking about that, and we now have a change of venue. Where are they going to be going? We'll be talking about that. So tune in to the next installment of In the News with CSI Sidebar. Thanks again for listening. For Charles Middlestead, I'm Mike Brooks, our producer, John. Thanks again, and you'll hear from us soon.